1: Hello everyone. Welcome into the Guiltiest Charge podcast. My name is Steven. I am your host. Happy to be here during Monday Night Football. And hopefully you guys are taking a little bit of a break to uh watch this. That game's kind of a snooze fest, but you know, it is what it is. Um joining me as always are my guys, Tyler and Alex. Tyler, we'll start with you, man. How are you doing?
2: i'm doing just fine i can't wait for all of your dislikes We already you have two before the show even started i'm sure we'll be at double digits by the time i'm done talking
1: we already have two we haven't even started
2: we had Come two before on. like 10 minutes before the show started so thanks guys
1: <laughs> you know it makes it fun we every everybody needs some critics so it's all good uh alex looks like you had a fun day yesterday how are you doing today man
3: yeah, um took an Advil PM last night, knocked out for ten hours, then watched the game this morning. So I had a little Monday morning chargers and uh that was um better than watching it live. I, w- I would have been <laughs> heated if I watched the game yesterday and watched mm-hmm. the things that happened live. So that that was better. But uh yeah, tough loss. Yeah, and uh it is currently ten thirty where Alex is, so
1: uh appreciate him staying up Motherfuckers up.
3: better be thankful. <laughs>
2: i'll think of you Uh, next thanksgiving
3: yes yeah yeah
1: yeah. uh before we get started i you know everybody was asking on twitter um about the fan experience yesterday and and kind of the turnout obviously i was not there alex was not there tyler uh so i'll let you kind of address the uh overtaking of the vikings if you will
2: oh okay i haven't been to every game you've been you went to the patriots game and you went to the browns game i did not go to those so i couldn't say but the three games that i went to the cowboys and the raiders and this game the vikings fans had the lowest turnout of opposing fans by far raiders fans had the most it was pretty bad cowboys fans i was surprised there were that many chargers fans in this one yeah the away section had a good section of vikings fans but they were quiet they didn't do anything i barely heard anything there were some weak skull chants but it was not good now, i'm sure there were some people that were sitting in the away fan section who thought it was loud Um, And yeah, sure it was. And 10,000, 15,000 people can make a lot of noise, but there were like 30 to 40,000 other chargers fans. And they definitely had the overwhelming majority. And I heard that there was this narrative that Vikings fans had taken over the stadium or whatever. It wasn't even kind of like that. And I I look, I do sit more on the home side, but I do sit in the end zone. So I get a good view of either side. And it was pretty clearly like 65% chargers fans in that stadium, wasn't a full stadium. I'd, I'd say maybe 10, 15% of it wasn't full because, you know, Chargers, Vikings, you know, not everyone's showing up to that game. Sure. But no, the Vikings did not have the majority. They didn't have close to the majority. And I don't understand where that narrative came from. If it was on TV, they were completely narrative pushing because not only were there not that many Vikings fans, or at least in terms of percentage, they were quiet. Like there was nothing going on. They were down four. And, I'm st- and it's dead silent on third down for the Chargers uh, you know, or second down or whatever. Yeah, sometimes they get fired up. You know, after the Vikings scored a touchdown, they get a little more fired up. But really, they were very quiet. Like that was the quietest yeah. opposing fan base I'd been around in a while. So any narrative that they were painting that there were more Vikings fans or that they were loud, BS, complete BS.
1: Yeah, on TV, it was like you know, there's that section in the corner where the away yeah. team always mm-hmm. runs out. That's always yep. full of opposing fans, and it was like they only showed that one corner Ridiculous. And, on TV, and it was just super annoying. Like I saw. You know, they showed the Die Hard Bolt Club in 121 like one time. Mm -hmm. And other than that, it was all showing Vikings fans. So it was really annoying. And then in like the second quarter, the sideline reporter was like, this is definitely a Chargers crowd, but Vikings fans are here. It happens everywhere else. And it's like, okay, which one is it? Is this a Chargers crowd or is this a Vikings crowd? Because you're only showing the Vikings crowd.
2: Yeah, no, it was BS. It was definitely a Chargers crowd. Yeah, Vikings fans are loud. Ten thousand people cheering is very loud. If you watch the two <laughs> towers, a lot of Urukai make a lot of noise. You know, that's ten thousand orcs and all that. But uh, no, there were definitely more Chargers fans, and the Chargers fans were louder.
1: Yeah. So I mean, I so I've attended the Cowboys game, the Browns game, and the Patriots game. Uh, mm-hmm. The Browns game was definitely the most pro Chargers crowd that I've been in. Um, Cowboys was pretty close to 50, 50. And then Patriots, uh, was probably about 60, 40. Um, but that was Mm -hmm. Halloween. There weren't a ton, you know, there were a lot of empty seats that day. Like, you know, the section that I was in for the Patriots game was the same section as that I was in for the Browns game. And the section was about half empty, to be honest with you. So there wasn't a ton of juice that day. And there wasn't, you know, it was definitely not even close to like 85% full. Um, So I think if that's on a different day, like literally any other day, then that's probably a little closer to 70-30. And that's definitely what the Browns was uh, from my experience as well.
3: Yeah, I don't know. Uh, It looked like all Vikings fans on TV, but now I know that's a fake narrative. So, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't surprise me that CBS and Fox go for that every time they try just to, you know, kind of kick the dog down. I don't know. But yeah, uh, yeah, it doesn't didn't, didn't seem quite right. Yeah. So yeah, and
2: the, the video that they showed of the the Chiefs crowd in the in the Raiders stadium, like that is what people were painting things to do, the Chargers game to be looking like. Wasn't even close. Yeah. The uh that Vegas crowd is uh getting smaller and smaller.
1: So you know I I have to admit you know we'll we'll talk a lot about the Chargers game today obviously, but I have to admit watching the Raiders last night was uh it was a lot of fun. You know the stadium gets overtaken by Chiefs fans. <laughs> You know, Gus Bradley was up to his usual tricks, putting Denzel Perryman on the slot in against Tyree Kill. Uh, Derek Carr was checked down Charlie. It was just, it was a lot of fun, and uh, definitely kind of made up some some points after the Chargers' loss.
2: Yeah, um, well, I had to watch the game with my dad, and so that wasn't very happy. <laughs> <laughs> just watched him didn't watch the watched his it. season go away. Yeah,
1: yeah, because that game started at what, like eleven
3: thirty your time, Alex. I mean I think it started at like 9 20 and I was out by nine and then I woke up today at like eight. So you know I was I was out like a light, but uh yeah, did not watch that one.
1: Well that's good, that's fun. And uh Tyler also picked the Raiders, so I'm sure that that added to the frustration there. <laughs> Tyler also got the nope. Steelers Lions. <laughs> yeah, break, I think yeah. <laughs> picked the Steelers the next day, he's
2: like, I have COVID, and then it's like oh and then yeah, I had to watch Mason Rudolph tie it up with the Lions. Oh man, Ugh. that was a mess. All right, well, it is officially that time of the night.
1: We're here to talk about the Chargers' loss at the hands of the Minnesota Vikings. Before we Mm -hmm. get started, have to give a shout-out to our sponsor, TickPick, who is the official ticketing sponsor of the Guilty as Charged podcast. As the uh, seasons are winding down, I'm sure a lot of you are requesting uh, tickets to sporting events for Christmas. Uh, TickPick is definitely the way to do that, and you get a $10 discount uh, if you use the link below, that's TickPick.com slash charge, excuse me. Um, the link is in the description, so please go check that out. All right, let's uh, dissect this loss. It was very frustrating, Dang so you. we're going to talk about all of it. Um, and, you know, I'm interested to see where you guys go with this one. Uh, Alex, we'll start with you. What is your biggest uh, takeaway from this loss at the, at the hands of the Minnesota Vikings?
3: Uh I mean, pretty much copy-paste the Patriots game. Uh, I wish I could just insert footage of my reaction from that one, and it would pretty much be the same takes. Uh, offense looked okay at times, but also very dysfunctional at other times. A lot of drop passes, uh, a lot of questionable play calls, and you know, just all-around not great play. Um, and they looked quite out of sync. Like To me, it's what we've seen from the Chargers the last month or so, unfortunately, uh, when it comes to the offensive end, Justin Herbert kind of getting, you know, rushed back there and not knowing what to do. Uh, Joe Lombardi play calls. We've talked about that to death. Uh, And in this game, you know, pretty much everyone dropped a pass that was pretty crucial when you look at Keenan Allen, Mike Williams, Jalen Guyton, Austin Eckler, and Jared Cook. So, you know, to me, no one gets off scot-free in that regard. Uh, And uh, I don't know, like, to me... This is what we saw a lot on offense. And then on defense, uh, it was kind of what we had seen in the last couple of games as well. Like improved run defense, but still some pretty undisciplined uh, undiscipline play 14 missed tackles. Like <laughs> you're, you're not going to win a game with 14 missed tackles and 143 yards to Justin Jefferson. <laughs> That's just not how it's going to yeah. go. Um, I think it was tough, uh, you know, going to be a tough matchup for the chargers either way on the defensive side of the ball, because They had to basically put Chris Harris or uh, Tabon Campbell on him and just live with that decision. And they lived and died by that decision, unfortunately. So uh, I don't know. Overall, just a really dysfunctional day. They look like the same old Chargers. I was hoping to see a little bit more of that vibe we saw against the Eagles where they were a little bit more focused, but. They went against a tougher defense that is more like the Patriots and more like the Ravens. And we saw Mike Zimmer throw them some looks that just really gave them problems all all game long.
2: Yeah, it was a very uncharacteristically bad game for the secondary. I know they were missing pieces, but it just felt like for most of the year they were able to hold it down in key situations. I'm curious how much the headset issue affected them. Apparently, Asante Samuel Jr. was having to run to the sideline to get a call in. And then run back and try to get the call in or whatever it was. I can't imagine how confusing that is. And it felt like many times throughout the game, it's like, how's that guy get wide open? Or how'd miss tackles? Or that's more of an execution thing. But it just felt like guys weren't in the right spots. And it just felt like uncharacteristically bad. Again, it's Thielen, Jefferson, and Cousins played a really good game. And they had to count for Cook. So sure, like they did execute very well, too. But it just was... I'm curious how much that played a part in it because having your rookie corner run to the sideline and get a play to get it in. And then Derwin James is the green <laughs> dot, but then we had to switch it to Kaiser white. That's a lot to, you know, to have to figure out with a bunch of guys that, you know, aren't exactly pros right now. Samuel Jr. in his first year. Campbell is, is really his first year as a starter. There's a lot going on in that secondary and for them to have headset issues. Uh, I'm just curious how much that really affected them.
1: Yeah. I mean, the communication issues were extremely relevant. Obviously you're, <clears throat> you know, you're missing year. Adderley in this one, you're missing Michael mm-hmm. Davis and those guys definitely would have helped. I don't know if they would have, you know, completely swung the tide towards the Chargers, but there were communication issues in the secondary. And, you know, we talked before the season, you know, that being a strength of Brandon Staley is to get his defense prepared and, you know, playing well in these situations and communicating and, and passing off coverages and you know, Tyler, you pointed out in one of your breakdowns, it you know, the, the Rams had a play against the Seahawks where it was almost like they knew what was coming and then they went mm-hmm. and made an interception on, on a screen pass and it was like they were running the routes for DK Metcalf all game long. So, mm-hmm. you know, this this secondary definitely was exposed a little bit. The lack of depth specifically, you know, you have a Gilman in place of New Sierra Adderley. He had a tough day despite being solid in previous weeks. Tavon Campbell had been solid as your fourth corner and Justin Jefferson completely toasted him granted it's Justin Jefferson. But uh, you know, I I think for me, the biggest takeaway honestly is just missed opportunities. You know, it was a missed opportunity. The, The Steelers tie, you know, the Raiders are losing to the chiefs eventually throughout this day, the chargers had a real chance of gaining some separation in the AFC. And then they put out this stinker and, uh, some of that is player execution. Some of that is coaching for sure. But Tavon Campbell dropped an interception Derwin James dropped an interception, those things would have completely changed the game. You know, you have, uh, Austin Eckler running an angle route and has an easy 20 yard gain. And he, the pass goes right through his hands. Mike Williams gets in the red zone, runs a slant route. And for whatever reason, you know, he can't turn his hands around and it bounces right off his shoulder. Chargers kick a field goal. So this was, like Alex was saying, very similar to the Patriots game, where the missed opportunities were all coming at crucial moments. It's not like you have a drop on first down here. You know, you're dropping on third down, and you're dropping in the red zone, which forces a field goal as opposed to, you know, a touchdown. So for me, this the biggest takeaway for me is that this team, for whatever reason, is not able to capitalize on these, you know, opportunities. You know, it was a ton of missed opportunities throughout this game. Um, And, you know, we can talk about everything else, but, you know, from a broad standpoint for me, they just missed opportunities. You know, the, the Vikings made plays and the yeah. Chargers did.
2: Yeah, absolutely. It was – it's funny that this game, you can't blame any of it on the front of the Chargers on either side. Offensive line played great. The defensive line, right, not like yeah. 20 pressures or whatever it was. The offensive line only gave up six. It's strange to have neither of those sides of the ball be the issue. And yet still – there were struggles you know, to, to stop anybody and to put up any points to move the ball, despite the fact that the trenches basically won the day the day, or they could have won the day. Um, as far as the mid-to-opportunities go, Daniel Popper just highlighted in his article and there's a long list of them, yeah. and it's tough to go through. There's you know, one where they dial up a deep shot, the second play of the game that everyone seems to forget, um, but Herbert just loses his foot. I'm standing in the end zone watching him. He just trips and loses his footing, and that kills a drive. Then Palmer goes the other way, and Herbert throws that way. And that kills the drive, and then you have what else? Oh yeah, Eckler was wide open on a checkdown that could have gone for a touchdown. Herbert completely misses him. That too, uh, yeah. He, right, the interception to Allen. What else did he put in his article? There was the drop by Cook. I don't think they counted it as a drop on Pro Football Focus, but you know, it was that a little was bit behind. Kind, that
1: was a tough catch, but it, I mean, it's it's Jared Cook. You've been in the league for 13 years. You got to
2: make that yeah. play, All right? So there's that. Joshua Kelly failing to pick up a blitz on third down. to Cameron Bynum gets his sack. Then, yeah, like you said, Eckler on the angle route, just thunk right through his hands. Yeah. Mike Williams dropping a pass. It's just so many execution errors. And that was just offense. And I, I get the problems with Lombardi. And that's kind of, you know, you've already talked about many of the, the, the specific issues. And my big takeaway is that Lombardi just for whatever reason, everything was working against the Eagles. And then it just felt like even with the line protecting fairly well, the game plan just went away from what it looked like against the Eagles, where it was very hyper efficient, very smart I really like that game plan in this one. I haven't watched the All-22, so I'm not going to comment a whole lot. But in first glance, it just looked like, where did that game plan go? Did Anderson die? He was a huge part of the game plan last week, and it worked every single time. I don't think they went to him once. And it could be wrong, but it felt like Herbert was just a little less intentionally on the move. Um, Last game, we got a run from Roberts. We got an angle route from Keenan out of the backfield. Screen pass to Eckler, screen pass to Anderson. Anderson would run left and a, as a blocker and fake that then run right for a flat route for a touchdown. Just yeah. felt like that bag of tricks were gone. And I could be wrong, but I also felt like they're running a lot less spread, a lot less empty looks in passing situations, which I think is an excellent way to merge exactly what Herbert can do and what this offense wants to do. Because I think people forget that Herbert is as gifted in intelligence as he is athletically. And I think people are just like, Oh, you know, throw it on the field, throw it on the field. But, Herbert is also very, 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 very smart. And I think maximizing his brain and the way he reads defenses, I think is an excellent way to go too, and an excellent way to maximize him. And they did that against the Eagles. They had five wide, four wide or whatever, plenty of different matchups. You have Eckler, Williams, Cook, Allen, Guyton, Palmer. You can't, one of those guys is going to be open. The defense is going to be wrong. And then Herbert was always finding the right guy. This game just didn't feel like they had that. So, you know, I'm again, I might have more criticism after the all 22, but I'm sure. first watch that's just kind of how it felt
3: yeah um I mean, I, I've been far from a Lombardi apologist to this point, but to me, yesterday <laughs> was not really on him. Like, I know a lot of people are going to talk about yeah. the lack of deep passes and stuff, but at the end of the day, like, the Chargers had, like, five players who had a drop yesterday. <laughs> like, you know, and we're not talking about, like, oh, Justin Herbert put it a little too far out there. Like, put a right on the money, like, on crucial third, you know, uh, second, third down plays that, uh, you know, ended up moving them backwards, right? that very first drive is Justin Herbert not taking a shot to Mike Williams that he probably should have took and then stumbling backwards into a sack that lost them, you know, a bunch of yards. So to me, uh, I don't really think that at this point uh, it's so much, you know, at least in this individual game on Lombardi, as much as it was the other factors that were at play uh, and really the execution, because also they come out of halftime and they have that great drive to start the third quarter uh and you know tons of rpos tons of movement and uh, and they sort of just like weirdly weren't able to replicate that the rest of the game so i think some of that is on lombardi uh for his play calls but largely yesterday to me it was just the execution uh on offense like they just had no way of getting sustainable drives uh for a lot of the game and it's hard to play offense when you know, you're getting free rushes in on the quarterback, you know, I know we talked about only six pressures, but there were a bunch of like free rushers that got in on Herbert. Uh, and then, you know, you have the amount of drops they did, like, it's just, it's hard to operate offense that way and and be efficient.
1: Yeah, I think for me, like, you know, obviously, I've been more patient with Joe Lombardi than than most, I, I would say, and you know, that's because I, I know how, long of a process this is, you know, as Arjun is pointing out in the, in the chat right now, you know, they're asking Justin Herbert to do a lot of things, you know, there is a ton on Justin Herbert's plate right now. And, you know, I, I kind of tweeted this, but you know, he's coming to the line with two, three plays, you know, in, in case of checks, if it's a run play, he also has, you know, an advantage read built in like the one, the touchdown to Mike Williams against you know the Cowboys the touchdown to Mike Williams against the chiefs. You know, he can come to the line and and make a read and and kind of change the play. Then there's the RPO aspect where he has to make all these decisions. So there's a ton on Justin Herbert's plate, and I think that is kind of it. And some people were saying, like, well, make things easier. You know, the the previous regime didn't really ask him to to do a whole lot. It was just snap the ball or make one read and throw. And it's like, well, you know, Brandon Staley is trying to make sure that Justin Herbert becomes the system. That's what That's his wording. That's what he said. And this is how you do it. You give him the opportunity and the freedom to come to the line of scrimmage with all of these checks and be able to read the defense and be able to take advantage of one-on-one matchups when they're there and make the adjustments. To me, the problem with Joe Lombardi's play calling specifically yesterday, again, like Tyler, I thought against the Eagles he was really solid. I thought against the Patriots he was okay. The problem Mm. yesterday is that the offense was never able to get in a rhythm And when the Mm -hmm. offense is not able to get in a rhythm, Lombardi defaults to the quick passing game. And Mm -hmm. that's why he has so many quick passing dropbacks, Justin Herbert, that is, because when things are going wrong, that's what Lombardi knows best, and that's what he is defaulting to. So -hmm. if you're Mm -hmm. going to criticize Joe Lombardi about anything, it's that specifically where if the offense is not working, he just falls back to what he knows. And you know, he said last week that he has to do a better job of opening up his imagination. And I think Mm -hmm. he's going to do that going forward. So I know everybody wants to fire Joe Lombardi today. I'm not there. You know, we've seen all these glimpses uh, against Philly, against the Chiefs, you know, Mm -hmm. against uh, the Washington football team, these really good glimpses Mm -hmm. of a hyper-efficient and explosive offense. It's just that when things are going bad, Lombardi defaults to what he knows best. And what he knows best is – his dead arm Drew Brees offense. So that to me is the hurdle for Joe Lombardi is to be able to keep the imagination open when things are going poorly.
2: Yeah, that's a good call there. I do think to open the second half, I think they did a really good job of going back to what worked against the Eagles. Let's move, let's move. I think they hit like three of the same play in a row and it just worked. I think it was Williams once or Allen and then Parham. Yeah. And it's like a nice play action bootleg, toss it to him, yards after the catch. And that worked again. That's, that's what he's familiar with. And that's what he, kind of knows he can do with Herbert. But yeah, I guess you're right. That, that is an interesting way to look at it, that he just defaults back to things that he's very comfortable with. And rewatching that Eagles um, all 22, I was actually wrong with how many plays it took to set up that Mike Williams pass. I think it was like five plays that it took to yeah. finally set up that deep shot. And if you can't get into a rhythm, and you're constantly going three and out. You can't really show every single play you want to show yeah. to set up that deep shot. Now, they, I think they right. went for something similar on the second play of the game. But yeah, that's a, that's a very good point, and I think that makes sense considering what happened against the Eagles. I'd be curious to see what happened against the Vikings. I don't know exactly what. I'm sitting in the stands, but I'll think all 22 will definitely show us something.
3: Yeah, I mean, for me, it's just whenever they run into well-coached defenses, this is what happens. Like, I mean, we could talk about the Eagles that's and true. Chiefs, and, and there were glimpses there, um, but I watch the Eagles every week, unfortunately, and uh, that defense is terrible. <laughs> um, I, it the is pretty defense, bad. Not good. Uh, so like, you know, the Vikings defense, I know they were missing guys yesterday and Keenan Allen was putting, uh, Breland in a blender the entire game, but like (laughs) at the same time, like they're a better defense and they have guys like Eric Kendricks who are going to come in and make plays. Right. So to me, Mm -hmm. um, you know, when they go against an even, you know, mildly talented defense or a league average defense, like the Patriots, like the Vikings, they have these kind of struggles because of what those teams saw when Baltimore played them. Right. I mean, so to me, that's really sort of what the storyline is going forward. And they will match up with teams that have bad defenses going forward and they'll match up with teams that have good defenses. Uh, But at the same time, it's just like, I don't know, like we've sort of seen the same story uh, a couple weeks in a row. And maybe they'll be aided by Pittsburgh not having TJ Watt next week. But. Uh, I'm not too confident that like they're going to go into that game and and just you know mm-hmm. steal it based on you know how this offense is playing uh-huh. right now because they have all these other issues right so um, you know I I hope they can convert but you know at this point it's just like this offense has kind of been this way for a month except when they played a bad Eagles team yeah that's fair I think you know one
1: of my wish list items for this team obviously it's it's early but one of my wish list items for next year is going to be to get a veteran coach on this coaching staff. I think, you know, we've mm. kind of seen the lack of experience over the last few weeks, particularly against, you know, the, the teams that Alex is outlining. And, you know, that was kind of a, a concern by a lot of media members that this staff that Brandon Staley was assembling was very, very young and a lot of guys will be in their positions for the first time. And I think that's, become a legitimate concern, you know, whether it's a big Vangio after he gets canned or, or whatever the case may be. You know, I think this team kind of does need a veteran presence within the coaching staff that can come in and, and kind of settle things down a little bit more than, you know, what we've seen the last few weeks.
2: Kind of. Well, I said, I kind of feel like that's Joe Lombardi though. I guess he's not really a, a veteran offensive coordinator though.
1: Yeah, he's only been a play caller for like 25 games. Yeah. Oh, and good news. Mike Tomlin next week. Great. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So I want to shift gears a little bit. Um, I want to talk about Brandon Staley's decision-making specifically because, Mm -hmm. you know, we've seen them be hyper-aggressive on these fourth downs. They didn't attempt a single one yesterday. I thought that they could have done at least two. I understand taking the field goal at the end. But I thought that Brandon Staley, you know, would have gone for it at least once yesterday. Um, Tyler, what'd you make in the, you know, being in the stands, what'd you make of Staley not going for it at all yesterday?
2: Definitely a surprise because they had gone for it four times against the Eagles. And granted, the first two didn't work out, but one was near the goal line. I I totally understand that. Another one was just a bad toss play to Kelly. But then they had two more times that game that worked for them that won them that game. So there's no reason after leaving that Eagles game that they shouldn't have gone for it on fourth down. So it was very surprising as I turned everyone go, okay, here we go fourth down. And it seemed pretty manageable and they just didn't. And at the time the defense I thought was playing pretty well, like they were getting to the pass, the passer. Um, I don't think at that time, Jefferson had really blown up the game. Uh, I could be mixing up when these things were happening, but it just felt like the defense was generally in control and the offensive line was protecting well. And they didn't go for it. I was actually very, very surprised that they didn't because they did it against the Eagles. And maybe that's because you think, okay, you know, you can't stop their run offense and they couldn't, they couldn't stop the Eagles run and the Eagles were scoring at will. So of course, you know, yeah, let's go for it. Cause we probably need one or two more of these, but the, I mean, the Vikings had cook and they had Jefferson and the Thielen. So I don't know, understand why you would deviate away from that because that offense could score. And they did, they scored 27 points or whatever it was. Yeah, So I don't understand why you would deviate from the plan because both offenses you just faced would could score. But against the Eagles, you do it four times. And against this team, you don't do it at all. And I thought they were manageable. It wasn't like, you know, fourth and eight. It wasn't anything sure. crazy. I thought it was plenty manageable. I think their average down to distance for fourth down is like two and a half yards right now or something like that. Um, so it wasn't like anything that bad. They didn't go for it. And then I was surprised also that they, they had the one on fourth down. I think it was at their own like 40 or something like that. And they just they they let the time run down like an old school rivers way. And they just took a time out. Like if that's what you're going to do anyway, like I just I don't know. It was definitely awkward. <laughs> it was the very it just deviated very much so from what I'm used to seeing from them. And I don't exactly know why.
1: Yeah, the whole like get to the line and like try to draw them off sides. I hate that shit so yeah, too. much. It never works. As soon as you do the first fake hike, everybody on the defense knows, OK, they're not going for it. So I hate that shit so much. That's one of my ultimate football pet peeves.
3: Yeah, I thought they should have gone for it on the fourth and four, um, particularly just because of where they were on the field. I mean, you're on the 40. You're not going to kick it with us. The Hopkins, no one's buying the, you know, <laughs> uh, fake snap, like we just said. And also like that could have been a big moment there, right? Like if yeah. you get that first yeah. score, like that puts you in the driver's seat. And Minnesota's offense at the time was struggling more than they were later in the game. So, to me, getting a 7 0 lead there or even getting enough yardage to get a 3 0 lead uh, outweighs, you know, uh, letting Minnesota start at the 40 yard line if you don't convert. Like, you know, so to me, uh, I I didn't get that play call. As far as the field goal at the end, I was fine with it um, because here's the thing if you get the field goal and then don't give up 18 yards on a third and 20, then you get the ball back. Uh, so, uh, that, that's the thing there, (laughs) like, come on, like, you just can't have the number of defensive breakdowns that they had on that drive and and then be mad that they kicked the field goal in retrospect. Like, uh, you know, because if they kicked a touchdown, it would have been the same, or if they went for it and got a touchdown, it would have been the same thing that they weren't able to stop them in the air. So, uh, to me, I have no problem with the field goal call.
1: Yeah, I think for me, the biggest thing is just be consistent. You know, like Tyler is saying, you know, if you really have that much respect for the Vikings offense, like you you said you did, you know, and and you approach the Chiefs and the Raiders and and the Eagles and the Cowboys with, you know, we have to go for it on fourth downs because we have to put up touchdowns and we have to, you know, sustain drives. Then you got to do it against the Vikings. You know, the Vikings may not be, you know, a great team by any means, but the best part of that team is the offense, you know, with Kirk cousins and Dalvin cook and Justin Jefferson and Adam Thielen, like they put up points on everybody. So I I just wish it was a little more consistent. I'm wondering now that I'm kind of speaking out loud that maybe this is where the headset thing could have come into play. Maybe there wasn't that good of a communication line between uh, Staley and the analytical staff. I don't really know, but you know, he, he said afterward that the model was, you know, shelling or telling them to, you know, be a little bit more conservative. And I, I thought that was an odd justification because, you know, all the analytical models that I saw on Twitter were saying that they should have gone for it.
3: Yeah, I don't know. The analytical model told me to do it just sounded like, well, I wanted to be more conservative. So therefore I did it, uh, <laughs> yeah. which is which is great, because now I can use the analytical model to tell me to do it for anything. I mean, maybe maybe I can get out of more stuff. Uh, the analytical model is telling me to miss the next podcast after we lose to the Steelers. So yeah, i just gonna put that out there.
1: <laughs> Good stuff. Um, all right, I think one of the other things we have to talk about today is uh, Mike Williams, unfortunately um you know you have seen a bunch of the statistics by me and by you know some fantasy football gentlemen um and it's not been pretty for mike williams over the last four weeks i'm curious uh where we're at i know alex kind of tweeted about the blank check thing um so alex i i know where you're kind of at but what do you why do you think it is that mike williams is not you know producing at the the level that uh he was in the first five games
3: um, I mean, I think it's a combination of when he got injured in Baltimore and and just the fact that he hasn't been as good at route running since, you know, uh, that time, you know, in his first five games, he averaged 2.52 yards per route run. Now he's averaging 1.19, even including uh, the one round against the Eagles where he, you know, got that pass. So uh, to me, you know, he was more effective as a route runner, which, you know, combines into those slant situations and he's dropping the ball more now. Um, so I think both of those are sort of the reality with Mike Williams. Um, he's teleported back to 2020, unfortunately, after a tour start in 2021. And that's just been the reality with him. Uh, I would hope that he turns it around. But at this point, you know, because he, he was still hobbling a little bit yesterday on some plays, I noticed. Uh, so, you know, it's a little weird that it still is kind of like that. But... Um, I don't know. Like, you got to catch that ball and get a touchdown. Like, <laughs> like there's there's no excuse on that final drive to not do that. Um, yeah. And, you know, if you're going to be paid $20 million, you have to make that catch. Um, you know, so, but we have another $20 million receiver who's dropping balls right now. So, you know, that's not necessarily all on Mike Williams, unfortunately. Yeah. Um. But yeah, it, it's just not uh tenable like at this point you can't have the amount of drops that those two lead receivers are having and expect to win football games so um i'm sort of sad to see mike williams go down um but you know it's sort of made me pro team go get Devonte adams maybe uh i don't know i want to see the rest of the season for mike williams i hope he rebounds but you know unfortunately the last four weeks have just been a lot of the same tendencies that we saw from him in 2019 and 2020, as opposed to what we've been seeing from him, you know, the first month of the season this year.
2: Yeah, it's interesting. First of all, I want to take some blame for putting out a video that said he had finally <laughs> arrived. I had basically doubted him half of his career, and then I doubted him all off season. He blows up. I put out a breakdown. He's literally sucked in terms of stats <laughs> the entire rest of the way. So I take some blame for that. Um, but Joe Lombardi has done a very good job of correcting mistakes during the season. I think we see more outside runs now on first down. That's statistically a better way to go. They did more inside on first down. Now they go more outside. I think we saw them work with Mike Williams to start the season. And then now they're like, Hey, we should probably get Keenan on a little bit more involved. I think that really started after the Baltimore game and they have. And so I think, you know, as Lombardi is trying to fix things, whatever you want to call it, illegal shifts are fixed. I think red zone offense is fixed. It's up 6% from last year you know, I think that they've kind of corrected themselves to say, hey, we should get the ball and Keenan, Keenan Allen's hands more. And they have. Keenan Allen has had, what, 300 yards the last three games or whatever it is. He's put yeah. together some very good performances. Mike Williams has not. And I think that's part of it. But yeah, I just, I don't know. I haven't specifically been paying attention to Mike Williams. I see him a couple of times be used in Jalen Guyton's role where he'll be stretching the field now and, and Allen gets the out route, whereas before I, against the Patriots, it was Guyton stretching the field and then Cook gets the out route. And if you're taking Guyton off the field in favor of Palmer, someone's got to stretch the field. and That's possibly, possibly Mike Williams. Mm. Um, there was that stat that came out that he was open on 80% of his routes against the Vikings. I don't know yeah. what that considers or what's it, what it takes into account. Right. But if he were open on 80% of his routes and they're and. And Herbert was just not finding him. That's a problem because they they were nothing but synced up and perfect on all short throws and some deep throws, or at least twenty yard throws, to start the year. And now things just look off. To me, now it feels like everything that we were seeing at training camp, where Herbert was kind of off. The connection to Williams was off. There's a couple of timing routes we've seen one against the, the Eagles at like the five. They was just off. They're just off. Like, and why? Why is it off? You know, it, maybe it's the corner probably plays some part in that. But something was just kind of off there. And they've reverted back to what it looked like at training camp when I said that he had a couple of off days and Herbert had a couple of off days. Williams just wasn't quite connecting with him. That's what it feels like right now. So I am I get why he wasn't targeted or why he wouldn't get big numbers against the Ravens because he was hurt. And I get why he didn't get big numbers against the, the Patriots because the line couldn't protect and he, or or Herbert would go bomb to Allen when Williams is wide open over there or they couldn't protect him. I'm surprised he didn't get anything against the Eagles because that seems like everything they wanted to do early with Williams, short routes, slants, whatever, would have been perfect against the Eagles. And it didn't work. Um, and then yesterday against the Vikings, I mean, nothing really happened. And then the only opportunity he really had, he dropped. So I'll have to go watch the film on this one, but it's starting to be a really concerning trend because Staley basically said he's totally healthy. There's nothing wrong with him. His knee's fine. <laughs> is that true? I-, I believe it's true. It seems like he was pretty emphatically saying Williams is 100% healthy. So now we got to figure out what the problem is. Yeah. I don't know. Like something
1: is, something is going on there. Like it's maybe it's, maybe he is fine. I don't know. Maybe there's some connection issues with Justin Herbert and and Mike Williams, but I mean, something has just been off. And like you said, you know, it it seems like we're kind of back in that training camp where sure they'll connect, but you know, Herbert clearly has better chemistry with the other receivers at this point. So, you know, it, it is concerning and, and, you know, from a Mike Williams standpoint, like if he keeps this up, then he's not going to be back on this team next year. You know, it really is as simple as yep. that. Like he is playing himself out of a big contract and, you know, I, I will, we'll talk you know, a lot about the wide receiver market in the, in the offseason mm-hmm. and, you know, if they'll go for Devontae Adams or not or, you know, whatever the case may be. But, you know, Mike Williams against the Browns, you know, peak Mike Williams is probably not what we'll see on a week to week basis. But if we could bridge that gap a little bit, <laughs> that would be fantastic. And you know, to be fair, I think, you know, that Eric Kendrick's sack was designed to go to Mike Williams, at least according to Mark Sanchez, uh and Nate Tice on the podcast on the athletic football show that I listened to today. Um, you know, so they're still calling plays for him. And if he really is open on eighty percent of his pass on on his routes, you know, then that's something to be a little bit more concerned about as well. But um, you know, it's, it's not a good, uh, good time in Mike Williams world right now.
2: Yeah, no, I'll definitely have to watch the alternative to see what's going on, because if it was, if he was open on 80% of his routes, like we get a serious problem. Yeah, I'm gonna block that person. I missed it.
1: Um, all right. So I want to talk about something good about this game that happened yesterday. Uh, and that is the run defense, you know, since, uh, Alex's guy, Justin Jones has come back the last three games, Mm -hmm. the chargers have improved to 25th in the league in rushing yards, uh, per game allowed. Um, and that's, you know, a big step and that's with, you know, the Jalen hurts scrambles and the Patriots rushing the, you know, running the ball 55 times or whatever the, the case was. So um, I think the run defense is, is slowly getting better. You know, I'm definitely not ready to to crown them as a really good run defense, but you know, they're getting healthier. Kenneth Murray comes back. Drew Tranquil should be back this week. Hopefully uh, he's still on the COVID list, but you know, this team can get uh, Tranquil and Adderley back, you know, with Justin Jones and Livoff Joseph up front, they've taken some big steps the last few weeks. And I, you know, it sucks that now the secondary is in a bad spot, but, you know, the run defense is playing really well the last few weeks.
3: Yeah, I think they've been playing well. Um, you know, although the problem is you can't have 14 missed tackles and allow Dalvin Cook to, yes. you know, bounce off defenders. You know, like yeah. there were, there could have been several drives that were shortened if that doesn't happen. Yeah. Uh, you know, particularly maybe a certain you know, second and 17. Uh, but, you know, so I, I think when Dalvin Cook, it, they they played an okay game against him. Uh, For for what it's worth, considering that they were also having to deal with Jefferson and Dillon, I thought they did decent against him, Um, but, you know, it was just one of those like, well, it's better, but I I still don't think it's completely there with, you know, how how, the tackling has been. Um, and tackling unfortunately sort of been a problem all year, but you know, we'll see if they can kind of rebound and, and put together a better effort against, uh, Najee Harris next week. But, uh, <laughs> I thought it was a step in the right direction, but, uh, Justin Jones played well. I thought Kenneth Murray actually played really well in terms of sniffing out some plays and some runs, but overall, uh, better performance from the run defense, not ready to ground them yet, but, uh, definitely much better than, you know having, you know, Tillery out on the field, 90% of the snaps or whatever we were at when Justin Jones was out. Yeah.
2: It seems like, okay, yes, they did improve. And I think in the second half, Dalvin Cook had like 20 rushing yards on 12 carries or whatever it was. I mean, they did a really good job shutting that down. I was surprised actually how often the Vikings decided to throw it, especially early on. We're all sitting there going, okay, you can keep throwing it if you want. It was a you know, sack here, fumble here, almost interception there. It's like, all right, keep doing it. Um, but even when they ran it, the charges were generally pretty ready. Outside of some very unfortunate missed tackles, they generally yeah. were pretty ready for Dolphin Cook, which was surprising. So, you know, good for them for sure. Uh, Jones played very well. I saw Covington. I don't know how well he played as a run defender, but he got a couple of holding calls on him, maybe once yeah. or twice. And I think that's key. Um, the, the defense couldn't capitalize on the third and twenties or whatever, but no. <laughs> um, he did get those holding calls, so yeah. that's good. But, but I really thought, and again, I will to watch it on all twenty-two. But I really felt like Machenna and Mosu and Joy Bosa played the edge better than they have all year. I think in Mosu in particular, yeah. I was waiting for him to step up, and I think he played really well. Um, Christian Darosaw had a, a lot of welcome to the NFL moments against the against the Chargers. Sort of expected that, but wasn't sure. But um, they they worked him. Mean, they worked that interior. The only thing I'll say is that the the last time they played this well against the run, in my opinion, was against the Raiders. And the Raiders did not have a very good line, especially on the interior. They were struggling. And this Vikings team we knew was pretty shorthanded along the offensive line, too. So can they do it against a good offensive line like the Eagles that completely steamrolled them or the Patriots that steamrolled them or the Ravens that steamrolled them? I don't know, but it is a good thing that they held Dalvin Cook to 3.9 yards per carry. It's a step in the right direction. So, yes, it's a very, very good performance from them.
1: Well, I mean, they, they held Damien Harris at 3.5. Like, it, you know, that was... Just I feel it. like
2: that's very, very skewed by the final drive running out the clock, in my opinion.
1: Uh, I, I, I feel the opposite, man. It was the sheer amount of volume in that one that really kind of, mm-hmm. you know, in, in terms of the yards, you know. Yeah. I, I think that's what it was. And then against the Eagles, like the total rushing numbers, you know, Jalen Hurts, escapes two pockets that are like completely perfect (laughs) Fine, and and he runs for like 40 yards on those two runs so Mm -hmm. uh, I I think the run defense is improving like I said and I think you know the numbers are skewed a little bit against him because of the volume of carries by the Patriots and Jalen Hurts you know doing what Jalen Hurts does Um, Mm -hmm. so I think the run defense is improving I think Uchenna Nwosu had his best game of the yeah. season yesterday, both as a run defender and as a pass rusher, um, you know, that um, Seth Walder tweeted out that graphic that had Chen right next to chase young uh, in pass rushing mm-hmm. win rate. So, you know, he's been rushing well and he's been playing at an okay level. So I figured he was due for a big game and, and he didn't have a sack in this one, but he hit cousins twice. He had four pressures. He defended the run really, really well in this one. So, um, I, I think the defensive line as a whole is a positive uh, in this one. Mm-hmm. I think the defensive line had their best game all around, uh, you know, from top to bottom in, against the Vikings.
2: And they were rewarded by the fact that Kirk Cousins had one of the best games under pressure that I've seen this year. <laughs> so that's fantastic. The
1: uh, The throw that he had when Eamon Ogbang lamiga was yeah. running right down him it was literally just like all right 500 or nothing let's go like just chuck it up and, and see what happens yeah. I mean if Derwin James and Alohi Gilman don't run into each other that's probably an interception mm-hmm. and then yeah. there was another time where Derwin James had a free run on him and again it was like all right Adam Thielen's over there somewhere I'm just gonna chuck it up and see what happens and then of course yeah. Thielen makes the play so oh mm-hmm. man it, it was tough it was to me like this is the most frustrating thing about this loss is like we finally got a complete like trench game. Offensive line yeah. played really, really well. Defensive line played really, really well, and then the receivers and the secondary just fucked things up.
3: Yeah, I mean, we just got to get everyone on the same page. Have a good game <laughs> all at the same time, you know. Yes. But I, don't, I don't know. I don't know how easy that is, but uh, no, I, I thought we and Wosu had a good game, uh, and really the whole defensive line for the most part, maybe even Jerry Tillery was okay this week. Uh, whoa. Yeah, whoa it's been pretty <laughs> been pretty earth-shattering um got a little yeah, soft
2: no. now that you've been dating that girl huh
3: <laughs> I bring that up on the podcast? <laughs> uh anyway i mean no <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> okay uh no but I, I yeah i thought the defensive line played better um and yeah, the story of the game is certainly secondary
1: yeah absolutely
3: all right Guys, any other uh,
1: major takeaways from this one before we get into some uh, studs and duds? No. No. Okay. All right. Let's do it. Um, As always, after we finish studs and duds, we will take...
0: We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed.
1: take some time for some questions so be sure to uh type them in the chat Let me change the banner all right so um tyler i'll let you start this one off who is your stud of the day
2: yeah it's going to go to the guy that i mentioned at the chenna and wosu i he think he was only credited for four pressures no one is credited for a pressure or a sack on that sack fumble from cousins apparently it was his offensive lineman's fault i don't get how that works um, but I think he should have been, you know, somewhere around that before pressures, two run stops, one target in coverage where he dropped cook for a minus one or whatever it was. I think he just had an excellent game. It was the first game all year where I felt like Joey Bosa had a true running mate opposite him. You know, I don't remember another time this year where it's, it's felt like that a couple of splash plays, sure, but not consistent where and most, it was excellent in the run game, setting the edge, getting pressure in coverage. Um, so he gets my game ball because he really, really stepped up.
1: Alex, who is uh, who's oh. your stud of the day?
3: Uh, yeah, I think for this one and for the purposes of this game, I'm kind of going to go with Kenneth Murray. Uh, I thought he had a couple plays in there that were really good. Uh, you know, not a glaring like stat line or anything, but he had a nice play where he held uh, Dallin Cook back there uh, and, you know, kind of. Eased into what I thought was probably one of his better uh, linebacker performances of the year. Obviously, it was not very good against Dallas and Kansas City, so it's not saying a ton. Um, but I do think this was sort of a return to normal for him. Um, had a couple decent like pass rush reps where you know he just uh, went straight to Kirk Cousins when he realized it was available. Uh, you know, so I thought that that was just kind of good recognition from him. Uh, I don't know how his role will change when Drew Tranquil is back and healthy and how they sort of have Eamon Miga who's playable uh, and you know, maybe they'll yeah. get Neiman a little bit involved. So I don't know if they're really going to transition him to that sort of like edge linebacker hybrid that they were talking about. But for the purposes of filling the linebacker role this game, I thought he did pretty okay. Uh, not bad in pass coverage either. So, you know, uh, I mean, this was kind of a return to form game from him. And I hope we see more, you know, improvement in these next couple weeks as he sort of comes back from the injury. Yeah. So Did he played.
1: He really have a
2: good game? <laughs> Did he really? It probably looks d- different on TV or when you rewatch it. I was live, so I don't know. Mm. Yeah. Well, I'm
1: interested to see on the film. I remember a couple plays where he got completely washed out of the play, but, you know, We'll see. I, I'm. I want to watch the film on that one before I really judge it because this is the first time he t- had taken snaps on the edge in an NFL game. He had 11 snaps there. Uh, I think. How many did you say Chris Rumpf had? I think he had one. So yeah, one edge
2: rusher snap or pass rusher so, snap.
1: Yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about that one. You know, you, you're drafting Chris Rumpf to be an edge rusher, and now uh, he's being replaced by a guy who can't play linebacker. So I don't know. I, I'm. I'm going to reserve judgment on Kenneth Murray until I. I sit down and watch the all 22. Um, I think for me, like I could go with a couple ones here. I think Kaiser white had a really, really solid game in this one. Um, Mm -hmm. that really is, has been the biggest benefit to me of Justin Jones coming back is that Kenneth or, well, Kenneth Murray too, but Kaiser white, you know, specifically has a little bit more (laughs) flexibility because he doesn't have guys in his lap every single play. So I think Kaiser Mm -hmm. white could be it. I think for me though, it's got to be Corey Lindsley. I mean, yeah. Lindsley is, is playing at such a good level right now. He hasn't allowed a pressure since October 4th, according to Pro Football Focus. And, you know, he's making all these calls. And I, I think for the most part, the calls against pressures are have been pretty solid. You know, that was a Joshua Kelly error, in my opinion, and then a Jared Cook error. So I thought the offensive line played good as a whole. You know, they only allowed, I think, four pressures total storm norton had one which is really good we've only seen two pressures from him the last two weeks but i think Corey lindsley's impact is really being felt on this team uh and zero pressures in the last five games is just crazy especially you know considering where we were at the center position at this time last year with dan feeney
3: yeah and i I think storm norton deserves a shout out too, or the you know the game ball the people are calling for him in the comments uh, even though we might end up in, in our top three, like two pressures the last two weeks is really good for him. Uh, yeah. And, you know, especially after I think he had 12 pressures combined uh, when it came to Baltimore and New England. So he's definitely improved a little bit, not going against quite the height of competition than maybe he was earlier in the year, but still I think deserves yeah. a lot of credit for his improvement and not being necessarily the liability on the offensive line that <laughs> they felt like they had to help all the time. So yeah, no, he seemingly not the best game of his career, low key. Uh and yeah, I, I'll be curious to see how Steven sort of talks about the offensive line after this one, uh, when he watches all the all twenty two. But I thought Storm Norton had a great game and uh also hope uh that uh what's his face? Uh, uh, T J Watt doesn't play next week. Uh, because <laughs> yeah. maybe Storm handle Norton can handle Different Vikings like, <laughs> like edges, but uh you know, I don't know if he's gonna put up that kind of performance against him, but we'll see.
1: Yeah. Uh, I was, uh, I'm curious to look at, you know, what the, the difference in snaps between Patrick Jones and Emerson Griffin against storm was. Cause I saw, obviously there were a few illegal hands to the face penalties against Rashawn Slater and like, Hey, come on, man, like take it easy on our guy. Um, you know, but I- I'm curious to see how much Emerson Griffin went against storm, because if it was a lot of storm against mm-hmm. Patrick Jones, I think that will make me feel a little bit differently than Storm playing well against Everson Griffin, who, like I said on our show on Thursday, uh, has been playing really well for the Vikings.
2: Random question. Have you seen Slater get calls, like hands to the face or anything, or do they just not? This
1: was the first time. This was the first time. Okay. Because I thought that there were a couple against Randy Gregory that could have been called watching that film back. I thought mm. there were at, there was at least one against Chris Jones that could have been called. Um, mm. but this this was the first one. Apparently Phil Rivers is going on the Manning cast in a little bit. So that's going to be fun. Hopefully we we finish up right in time for that one.
2: Well, the game's about to wrap up as a big fat loss for the Rams. <laughs>
1: <laughs> All right, let's get to the duds of the day. I think for me, like <sighs> I'm going to take the, I'm going to take the first bullet and say Brandon Staley. I Okay. That the I thought that the decision making on the fourth downs in particularly was was not great. I thought that the defensive secondary was not super prepared for what the Vikings were were going to do and throw at them. Granted, again, Justin Jefferson is a fantastic player, probably in the mm-hmm. conversation for uh, you know best receiver in the league in a few years from now. I think he's you know a great young receiver, but I was just was really kind of underwhelmed by the secondary plan. You know, there were some communication issues. Chris Harris motioning over for Elohi Gilman to help him out and then didn't, and then he threw that fucking tantrum that pissed me the hell off. But, you know, Chris Harris was actually okay in this one. I have to say that. You know, Chris Harris played pretty well in this game. But overall, I just – the secondary and the game planning has been such a strength for this team that I I have to give it to Staley in this one. I thought the game plan on defense was not great, and I thought his decision-making in the game on fourth downs uh left a lot to be
3: desired as well so brandon staley done of the day for me yeah you mentioned uh chris harris playing relatively well i'll tell you about a cornerback who didn't play particularly well uh, uh yeah. devon campbell unfortunately does have to be done of the day if we're gonna go hard against chris harris Then and kind of gonna go hard against yes. him yes. Uh, 127 yards 18.1 yards per reception Uh, a passer rating of 118.8 against him. Uh, So he was sort of getting it from all angles yesterday. And Justin Jefferson, not an easy matchup by any means, obviously, but it could have been a lot better. And there were just (laughs) times where he was getting absolutely out muscled on some of those catches Yeah. also held them a bunch of times. So, I mean, you know, to me, um, you know, I felt more confident going into the game with him than Chris Harris. But I sort of think in retrospect that, yeah, it, it flipped. And I, I well, I kind of do feel like still, if you put Chris Harris on Justin Jefferson for the whole game and you put Tavon Campbell on Justin <laughs> Jefferson the whole game, probably wouldn't have been a different result. Uh, you know, pick your poison and how you want to die. But uh, I do think that Tavon Campbell still shows some signs like a prospect of someone who can get better. Um, but this was definitely yeah. a step backwards for him, although did come with obviously the more increased responsibility of playing c b one. yeah, but yeah, they need Michael yeah. Davis back uh, yeah. m- expeditiously uh, because I cannot <laughs> watch much more of the uh, Devon Campbell and uh, Chris Harris show.
1: Yeah. so Brandon Staley said today that he's hopeful that uh, Michael Davis is gonna be able to play this week. Um, you know, I wish I could watch the whole press conference, but you know, that's another topic. Um, Campbell was definitely in a tough spot, but it definitely could have been better. Like I said, you know, he had that one interception that he dropped when, uh, Adam Thielen fell over. And then there were a couple of the like contested catch situations to Jefferson. Then I thought that he, like, it was almost like he was preferring to play the sideline as opposed to play the ball. So, you know, he's kind of in that same area that michael davis was in a couple years ago where it's just like you're not getting your head around quickly enough you're not making a play on the ball quickly enough so i think he's still like alex said a good prospect to have on this team definitely not a corner you want to be your best corner on (laughs) against justin jefferson but it was it was a brutal day for him and they clearly had a plan to say hey you know what we're gonna get justin jefferson back involved in this game and we're going at number 20 every single time
0: yeah,
2: unfortunately, that worked so often. <laughs> it, it's amazing how much it does remind you of Michael Davis that I'm not turning his head around, being an undrafted free agent, the fact that he runs a 4-3. Like, everything really lines up. So you can tell where Campbell is going to go. I think based on what we've seen this year, I actually think Campbell has started better than Davis has or did. Um, my dad, so you guys have heard me already talk about Lombardi. So everyone in the chat can shut up. I talked about Lombardi already. I criticized <laughs> him. So I'm not forgetting him in this instance. That said, I'm going to have my dud be Justin Herbert. That's my second time I've called him a dud. And I'll continue to say that I think he's a dud. Um, I thought, I actually thought, honestly, that this was his worst game of the year with a handful of very spectacular plays. I know his EPA versus Baltimore was a lot worse. But the difference to me is that Baltimore took everything from him and didn't allow him to play any, you know, be a good quarterback. In this one, I think Herbert just flat out missed a handful of throws. And maybe it looks different if I watch the All-22 from where I was standing. A lot of the mistakes happened on our side of the field. And I was like, oh, it, oh, he missed him. And he missed him again. And he missed him again. And he missed him again. Handful of throws, interception. You know, Of the mistakes in Daniel Popper's article, like six of them are attributed to Herbert. And a lot of them yeah. were drive killers. Whether it's miscommunication, throwing a ball behind, um, throwing the interception, missing Eckler, missing Allen. You know, thing, slipping. I mean, that's not even his fault. But it, it's part of him being a dud. He slips. That deep shot is not there. That deep shot is there. We're talking about a whole different game. Maybe they score a field goal. Maybe they score a touchdown. Maybe it opens yeah. up the rest of their offense, I don't know. Um, but it just wasn't a very, very good game from him. It wasn't awful, but it was a dud. I expect more from him on some of those throws, but it really looked like he could have just made the throws. I don't think the pressure was all that crazy. I think overall, even with the Titans and running backs, like what, eight pressures allowed? It's not like he was under duress like the Baltimore game. Again, yeah. the, the Vikings really didn't take anything from Herbert. He just couldn't connect so it wasn't great wasn't a great game for him so he's my dud
3: go ahead alex oh i was just gonna say great week to call Tavon campbell my x-factor uh he he was the (laughs) x-factor to the game just not in the way that i wanted
1: (laughs) yeah it all it happens to us all man you know (laughs) tyler had an x-factor and he wasn't even active that week (laughs) (laughs) that's not pretty bad (laughs) i
2: said joy would have interception that you know whatever
1: well, that's a We're bold going. prediction. At least that's a little more forgettable. But okay, thank you, thank you. Um, I, you know, I think the receivers definitely have to be mentioned here as duds. You know, absolutely. At this, at this point in the season, Mike Williams is second in the league in drops, um, and Keenan Allen's not very far behind him. So it's it's a it's a really weird thing because it looked like last week, like okay, drops are not they're not a problem in this one. You know, so I'm I just would love to know what's going on there. You know, I'd love to be a fly on the wall in the receiver room this week. To figure out what really is going on with the drops because it, you know, if like Jalen Guyton, like, has been you know a little underused in my opinion in comparison to last year. But if the ball hits you right in the hands, man, you got to catch it. If you're Mike Williams and it hits you right in the shoulder pads, you got to catch it. So, uh, you know, I'm running out of uh excuses for these receivers, man. And like, Herbert's not throwing it too hard, yeah. you know, he's thrown the same kind of way every single game as far as I can tell. So. Um, as somebody is pointing out in the chat chat make the transition. <laughs> Maybe they need better gloves, man. I don't know. Like, this is a this is a big issue, and Mike Lames in particular, like you're too talented to be second in the league in drops at this point in your career.
3: Yeah, I mean, like, look, the Herbert throws too hard thing. Like, what the fuck are we talking about? <laughs> they had 29 drops last year and they have 21 halfway through the season. Like that yeah. that's like unacceptable. And Herbert was the same quarterback last year uh yeah. you know so what are we talking about with throwing the ball too hard ultimately if it falls into the hands of mike williams if it falls in the hands of keenan allen you got to catch it like the, the, there there's no yeah. debate there and it's not even just limited to the receiver room right we have jared cook we have austin eckler dropping balls and and everyone kind of contributing to that so to me um if people want to say it's uh you know not you know just guys not being focused or whatever, whatever the issue is. Do they need new hands? Um, we, I think there is hand transplant technology. Plastic I don't know. surgery. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of plastic surgeons in California that you could take advantage of. But I mean, you know, it, they got to do something because, like, at, at this point, like. As much as we want to talk about Joe Lombardi and as much as we want to talk about all these things, like you can't make offense isn't tenable if you're just going to drop the ball like this many times yeah. and defense isn't tenable if you're not going to miss 14 tackles. So like at this point, it's just easily correctable ways of beating themselves.
2: Uh, yeah, I'm so curious to figure out and they'll never tell us, but what happened with these drops? I mean, they're on pace for 40 this year, granted oh that's in 17 gosh. games, but they're on pace for 40 drops this year. And that's affecting everything we talk about, With like EPA, EPA, those drops are killing the EPA right now, even yeah. though it's technically ranked higher right now, but like it's killing it for Herbert right now. And it, it, maybe it's the way they did training camp. I think that's the only thing I can think of because it's not like Lombardi, you know, made Allen and Eckler forget how to catch. They were excellent receivers. They barely dropped the ball ever. And also they're dropping balls this year, but you know, during training camp, not only did they rarely have Herbert go out there for many passes but halfway through the drive, they would rotate out to Austin Pearl, Jason Moore, Tyron Johnson, guys that they got involved quite a bit who are no longer on the active roster. And so they just and not playing any preseason games either. Granted, Herbert didn't exactly, you know, play with the, these players uh, last year and he walked in and had no problem. So I don't know. Maybe it's just the starters not playing as much in the preseason. I, I really don't know what it is. Um, that's the only thing I could think of because this is a, it's a disturbing trend, and nothing's gotten better. Like we think, okay, regression to the mean, regression to the mean, but like yeah. we're not regressing to any new mean right now. Like it's it started off, eh, we've seen a couple of decent games, but it's basically been four drops, three drops, five drops, four drops, three drops. There's been no really consistent effort, and and then just in this particular game is on awful situations.
3: Uh, uh, someone else said Terrence Johnson, so I don't have to say it the show, but yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the guy
2: who never dropped a pass last
3: year yeah yeah
1: Mhm. oh yeah that'd be that'd be fun hey uh can i interest you guys in that fifth tight end though jesus.
3: <laughs> oh yeah Gabe neighbors and uh joshua kelly they're all earning their spots on this roster right now
1: i know oh, jesus no so bad
3: um all right so we'll take some
1: questions now if you guys have them uh feel free to shoot them in the chat um we also have the super chat feature enabled we'll try to uh, get out of here in like 10 minutes or so before uh, Philip Rivers comes on uh, the Manning Castle, because I want to go watch that too. So, um, all right. So there was a super chat from earlier, I think, wasn't there? Or was, was I imagine? Yeah, it so? was just
2: kind of a comment, I think, more than a question. Oh, okay. But there was one. Okay.
1: Well, uh, sorry I missed that
3: super chat. Thank you for whoever sent it. Sean O'Brien said Cousins had major Yellow okay. River's energy. Uh, he did. He did. He sure did.
1: There was a lot of chucking it up, and I, it was surprising because you know Kirk Cousins doesn't usually throw a ton of con- contested catch situations, um, mm-hmm. and he threw a lot of them yesterday. So I was surprised.
2: <laughs> major Yellow River's energy. Yeah. Yeah. Actually. I'm glad Odo Beckham Jr. is helping this Rams offense, and that Von Miller is helping this Rams defense. As they're losing thirty-one to seven,
1: thirty-one to seven.
3: Oh my!
2: Yeah, God. no, they're getting killed. It's not I even close. The, I mean, Debo's still I
3: with. Yeah, I only saw that first INT that Stafford threw, uh, but ew, that's ugly. It was a, a rough weekend for the top teams in
1: the conferences outside of the Cowboys, because you know the Buccaneers lose to Washington. Um, the Titans ended up winning, but. I think that was pretty much it. The Chiefs are back on top, which fucking pisses me off. Uh,
2: <laughs> Freaking Rodgers. <I> <laughs> but like Rodgers missing that game and giving them the easy win. I'm so salty about that.
1: Betters getting killed all season in football. Yeah, it's been a rough season to bet on football. Yes, like... Steven can
3: tell you about Betters getting killed <laughs> all season in football in our picks. <laughs>
1: Hey, well, the, the only one that I really care about right now is my work pick 'em league, and I'm doing solid there. So, yeah, the, the only thing you, you
3: care about is the one you're doing good in, is basically what everyone has said about every fantasy <laughs> league or pick 'em league.
1: No, I'm in second in that out of uh 30 people, and I'm doing mm. well, man. I, ha- I got uh six peak six picks right this week. Um, we pick against wow. the spread, so. Um, I missed tonight for sure because I picked the Rams to beat the spread. You're a curse,
2: dude. Like I said <laughs> this to you about the Bucks and the football team. You're a curse. There's always one team. Keep picking. Like, can I let you pick the Chargers game every single week? And that counts as one of them. <laughs> pick the opposing team every time, please.
1: Well, I feel like our picks, my my Chargers picks on this show have been okay. I feel like I don't know. Maybe Probably I the Chargers too much.
2: I think Alex is more dead on because he's slightly more negative and it's worked in his favor for a couple of games.
3: Yeah, well, I, yeah, I did pick the Ravens one when everyone was on like cloud nine. But uh, yeah, I also <laughs> did think they would beat the Vikings yesterday. Uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with the Steelers pick. We'll see what happens there. Yeah, that that for me really is going to depend on if TJ Watt plays or not. <laughs>
2: yeah,
1: because TJ Watt against Storm Norton is not going to be fun. Um all right a couple of questions about the running backs i like this one specifically from pedro uh how do you think we should address our rb2 it seems like no one is stepping up for that spot so obviously we've we've talked a lot about our frustrations with this position um you know larry Roundtree did score his first career touchdown had a hell of a dance he told alex and i that he would have something special for his first touchdown and he did not disappoint Still, I think he had uh, like five carries for 10 yards or something like that. Um, Joshua Kelly had one carry for six yards and had some terrible breakdowns in pass protection. So <laughs> I can't imagine our feelings have changed much on this situation. But unfortunately, uh, it seems like Brandon Staley is content with waiting for the offseason. You know, I tweeted this out, but I think signing a veteran running back next year in free agency is kind of how I would handle it. What about you guys?
3: Um, Yeah, pr- pretty much same thing. I think you could sign a veteran running back, someone to put behind Eckler. Um, I think you could go through the draft again and pick a guy who runs like a little bit faster than a 4.7 <laughs> this time. Um, that's also a possibility. Uh, really, they just need someone who's like a little bit of versatile and, and gives you something. Cordell Patterson's going to be a free agent again. I don't know if they want to try him. But, yeah. uh, I mean, there's going to be some decent running backs that are out there that you could probably get for cheap. Leonard Fournette going to be a free agent again. Uh, you know, tons of guys on the list. I mean, <laughs> do we want to bring Melvin Gordon back? Don't think so. <laughs> um, but, yeah, look, there's always sort of value in the running back market and the guys you can get there every year for pretty much dirt cheap. So that's one way to solve it. Um, and you could just be better at drafting running backs and not overdraft them. That uh, that's also a possibility. So, uh, yes, yeah, like, you know, at this point, what does Joshua Kelly do for this team? Like, uh, you know, I think cutting bait there is one way to start. Um, but if you're just going to give him more years of that contract, then you know, I don't, I don't know what you're actually doing to improve the rooms. So, giving Darius Bradwell a chance, I don't know, but uh, it's not going to be fixed in season, and definitely is an off-season proposition.
2: Yeah, Kelly, to me, is a lost cause. There's some good runs in there, but to me, it's like, you're still getting blown up on third down. That's exactly why you lost your job in the preseason. And they're like, okay, let's let you back in. Then, plam gives up a sack. It's like, okay, then what are we doing with you then? I'd rather have someone else there who also gets blown up on third down, but at least gets two yards on a run instead of, you know, one and a half. So, you know, yeah, Brattle would be great. I'm in favor of getting a veteran at this point. I would be in favor of getting two, but uh, one pure, at least, runner, who can run somewhat half decent and understand this off because the line's good line in general is a good run running line. It's fine. That's not the problem anymore. So, you know, draft a sort of a runner, excuse me, sign sort of a runner. Maybe draft more of a, you know, a a receiving type, whether that be, you know, your this year's Kylan Hill or like Antonio Gibson, someone who's a little bit more of a, or not Antonio Gibson. Who the hell is the guy that's drafted this year's more receiver no it was it was gibson isn't gibson the yeah. receiver running back from last year yeah, yeah. so some, yeah so someone like that um i think contribute in, in in that way and be the jackson replacement and the kelly replacement i think that'd be great um but yeah, it, it's awful and i'm actually curious how much a good running game like an actually good more than one running back running game would actually per, would lower the amount of times that they have quick passes on first down because if you're going to actually kind of run it and get 5 yards instead of 3 you don't have to keep throwing those wide receiver screens you don't have to keep throwing you know, sure. random quick passes, because you can actually run it and get five yards instead of, you know, I mean, listen, I get it. I'd rather throw it to Keenan Allen to get five yards than hand it off to Joshua Kelly and pray he gets three. So I understand why they're throwing those quick passes because the running backs suck. Yeah. Uh, but but they're they're really, really bad. Congratulations, Roundtree, on your first touchdown. The dance was awesome, but like they're not getting anywhere. And it's, it's so apparent that they're not even close to what Austin Eckler is
1: yeah I think the one thing I'll say about Larry Roundtree is that he is a really, really good pass protector. So um, please, Thank if God. you're gonna have Joshua Kelly on the field, I prefer not at this point
3: don't but but I mean, you know credit credit to Larry Roundtree. I thought he was okay yesterday. Uh, yeah. you know, not not the you know, relative to what that is for him, like, I mean, he got the touchdown, had some nice air on that. And a couple other good runs like, you know, I I don't think it was the best game in the world by any means. But to me, I guess he is kind of RB2 now. Uh, Not really one that I'm confident in, but maybe when Jackson comes back, you at least have some guys there that can do something. But um, I think he is gaining a little bit of confidence, but you know, I'm not going to obviously, you know, file myself under Larry Roundtree believerism now yet. But yeah, I did okay.
1: No, like I – so there were – somebody pointed this out to me that um, Austin Eckler requested a sub on one of the plays that I think that there was that second pass protection error between Kelly and Cook that Eckler had requested to come out of the game before that. But the first one was like the third play of the game, second play of the game. So there's, there's no excuse for Joshua Kelly to be this bad at pass protection still. And, you know, so if you're going to take Austin Eckler out, just put in Larry Roundtree and I would prefer like Austin, like Tyler said last week to, you know, let him run some routes and at least kind of show that he's a threat. But if you're going to take Austin Eckler out, just leave in Larry Roundtree and let him pass protect because he's really good at it. And Joshua Kelly is off
3: about it. I'll say this about like the running game too. Like Justin Herbert was the second leading rusher yesterday. And they let him run one play for 15 yards and then they never let him run again. Like yeah, there yeah. is something about like just designing more plays for him that catch the defense off guard, like and let him run those. I you know, I don't expect Justin Herbert to be Jalen Hurts because he's not he's he's not Lamar Jackson, but like you know, he's a big body guy that can pull people over. Like, take advantage of that, especially yeah. if your RB2 situation isn't great.
1: There was that one RPO that they ran to where Keenan Allen comes, uh, you know, across the formation and he's just like, nobody was even close to him. It looked like Justin was going to run, but he was like, Oh, Keenan, you're right in front of me. Okay. I'm just going to like flip it to you for, you know, six yards right here. So I think they're, they're doing some things, you know, I, I I'll, I'll go back and chart the amount, but against the Eagles, they had, they moved the pocket for him 12 times. I want to say it was at least 10 yesterday. Um, So they're moving him more, which I think is good, and that's been a a solid adjustment from Joe Lombardi. But I I do wish that some of them would go from RPO to just zone read and let him actually run the football a little bit. Again, I've said this a bunch. I'm not asking for five, six carries a game from Herbert. Just give me, like, two consistently, and and I'll be happy.
2: Yeah, at least keep the threat, because everything they showed, with particular that that Palmer motion – rpo action to everybody else like the only thing they really didn't show was herbert running they, they kind of did that once against the eagles for three yards but i think he was trying so hard to throw and he just eventually had to take off i want more design into it i don't yeah. know how comfortable he is with that but like I, I don't see why they can't run it
1: yeah um so a couple of people asking about trey mckitty um obviously the chargers spent a third round pick on him um he played a good amount against the eagles and the patriots I think he only had five snaps in this one. The Chargers didn't really go to their heavy personnel very often. You know, Senyo Kalamite had been playing a lot. He only had two snaps yesterday. So Trey McKitty has been playing, and he's been blocking really, really well. I would love for them to be able to use him a little bit more as a pass catcher. But they didn't use any of their tight ends very much yesterday. You know, I think Donald Parham had one target. I think Jared Cook had three. I don't think Steven Anderson had any, so... Um, that could be another criticism of, of yesterday's game plan is the lack of tight ends. Um, but McKinney has been blocking really, really well. And I'm, I'm excited about that, at least, uh, as he continues to develop and, and learn the offense.
2: I think he's been blocking well. And if I'm not mistaken, again, I only watched this once and it was live and I was up there in the, in the stands. I think he was the one of the guys that Herbert could have gone to when he slipped. I think it was Williams deep and then in front of him. I'm pretty sure it was McKinney. So I think they were trying to get him involved. And then Herbert slipped and fell.
3: Yeah, Tyler's a curse whenever he picks McKitty to be an (laughs) X-Factor. Hey, he was active
2: this time. Chill. he just there. (laughs) He
3: breathed oxygen in the stadium.
2: (laughs) He breathed oxygen, right?
1: Yeah. So uh, make the transition. Gave us a super chat. Um, He wants to know, so are Staley and Telesco confirmed
3: throwing this season
1: and going all in next? I'm going to let someone else answer that.
3: I don't think they're well, throwing the season. Um the team just isn't isn't very good right now. But uh yeah, no, I, I don't think Staley is the kind of guy to tank because if it, Staley and Telesco tank they're gonna be out of jobs. So uh no, I don't think they're throwing the season. But uh I guess all you know, next year might be the all in year. Who knows? But uh yeah, no, they're they're fired if they throw the season, so Yes,
2: they are definitely obviously and partially unfortunately, throwing everything till next year and the year after, I guess. But, um, yeah, they're not throwing this season. They need to keep their jobs, like Alex said.
1: Yeah, it, the team was 4-1. and one. Like, let's chill out a little bit. You know, they're, they're in a little... one last <laughs> week. They won, week. <laughs> <laughs> they won a, literally a week ago. Like, now they're throwing the season. Let's chill out a little bit. But thank you for the super chat.
2: <laughs> but thank you, yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: somebody asked if we could bring LT back on a minimum contract. Uh, I don't sure. think LT is in football shape, but honestly, don't know if that would <laughs> be much of a deterrent right now.
3: I don't know if Joshua Rakelli is in football shape, so... I mean. <laughs> um,
1: Alright, so we'll take... 30 seconds uh, ask one more question um, and then we'll give our final thoughts here. So if you have a question, ask it, ask a good one. Don't talk about Joe Lombardi and the D passes. Ask a legitimately good question. That's all people want to talk about.
2: <laughs> I mean, you can ask about the deep ball passes if you want. This is going to need about another 30 minute video for this. <laughs> Let's see what else we got here in the questions. A lot of comments about old players. Thanks a lot, guys. It's not <laughs> questions. Mm-hmm. What's your Andre Roberts evaluation? Uh, I mean, he, he went forward a couple times on some kickoff return, returns. So that's good.
3: Yeah, it was good yesterday.
1: My evaluation is that I want to see him use on offense. Like, he's your fifth receiver. Like, get him out there on some snaps, please.
3: My evaluation is that he's a Hall of Famer compared to KJ Hill.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, he did. He had a really bad kick return yesterday, but I thought he had some good punt returns yesterday.
2: Well, now we got a bunch of questions. All right, rapid fire. Where did the Chargers finish in the division? Second. Second. First! I got it. I got it. Come on, first. Oh, you got your homer points. <laughs> I'm here to the end.
1: Alright, next question. Uh, should we re-sign Mike Williams?
2: Yes. Probably. <laughs> Shake the thing. Unknown. Oh,
1: <laughs> Neutral. Neutral. Okay. Um, What is your approach to beat the Steelers? Pray that TJ Watt does not play. Yeah, <laughs> biological warfare Pray <laughs> that the Big Ben's COVID is still in his body and basically <laughs> don't to <mess> play <laughs> <the boy.
3: laughs> not that I hope the COVID kills Big Ben I just, no, I I got just you. I got say you. you know it's just gotta be in his body until Monday
1: mm-hmm. alright next one do we care about Bulaga's status anymore if so do we know yes we care um, he's been really good when he's been on the field, but no, we don't know anything about that. No, he's not coming back. True. He's
2: probably not coming back, but I do care because I'm sort of curious if they open up more deep shots that way.
1: Yes. Um Job Jobaney, Jobani, Jobani? Menesis, is it Lombardi's scheme or poor execution the reason for the offensive woes?
2: One, two, three. Yes, <laughs>
1: good job, you guys. Good job. Um, B. John, have we found our kicker? Ready, one, two, three.
3: Yes,
2: I'm pretty sure, but I'm a Chargers fan, I know how this ends. I don't
1: know.
3: Every week, it's something different.
1: Probably. <laughs> oh man, uh, Kareem's mom is having surgery tomorrow. Uh, oh wow, Well what's for
3: good vibes, yeah.
1: Uh, Pedro, should we re-sign Yes. Yeah. Mm
3: -hmm.
1: Yes. All right. That feels like a good one to end on. Yeah. Nice. All right, Tyler, final thoughts before we get out tonight.
2: I can't wait to watch the all 22. I'll do a, a breakdown. I had an Eagles breakdown and I was like, well, maybe I'll wait one more week to dump a bunch of praise on Lombardi. And then he, it wasn't that great. So that's a 30 minute video that's just going to sit in the ether and do whatever for like the rest of my life. Um, So we'll see. We'll see what happens. But I promise in the breakdown, I will definitely tell the truth and I will I will show everything that happened as objectively as possible. Um, So feel free to tell me that I'm wrong and dislike it and blame Lombardi and make my entire week of trying to put that together a giant waste of time.
1: Yeah, I well, if you want, man, you can send the video to me and I'll tell you how great it is um alex final thoughts before we get out please beat the steelers i can't take this anymore <laughs> that's a good final thought um yeah i think you know at this point it's obviously a frustrating time to uh be a fan of this team you know this team's definitely not living up to its potential Um, but i i think it's important to remember the long-term picture here obviously you have justin herbert you have rashawn slater you have brandon staley you know there's a lot of this team is trash yesterday. And uh cheer up. I think this team is in good shape going to, going forward in the future. Um, and I hope they beat the Steelers. I really do. Still, um, still
3: the seventh seed. We're yeah, in the they playoff are. Uh, baby. In the mix.
1: That's the thing, though, is like, you know, if the Steelers, if the Chargers beat the Steelers, Cowboys beat the Chiefs, then you're back in the in the top three. So, you know, we've seen the AFC flip on its head every single week and that can obviously happen out, uh, in the future. So, um, that's going to do it for us today, guys. Thank you so much for tuning in. This has been a fun, uh, fun one in the chat. Um, hope Kareem, I I hope your mom's doing well. Hope the surgery goes well. Um, as always leave a rating or a view. If you are listening to this version on the podcast platforms, if you're watching the replay of this on YouTube, please like the video and subscribe to the channel. All that really helps. Uh, and we'll see you guys next time.